This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I'm Chris Hambling and I'm your host for this week's look back at another tough weekend for Palace. Selhurst Park played host to a Newcastle side who hadn't won at Palace since 2013, so it would be no surprise to anyone that a toothless Eagles side capitulated in the closing stages, falling to a 2-0 defeat. Joining me to look back at the game and the week in general is DR Kernaz. Back of the Nest Review Show, sponsored by Pitch Sport, available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com Right, we are DR. It's um, I'm spending far too much time with you talking about Palace at the moment. So yeah. on Friday night, we uh, we did the watch along on YouTube. Check out our YouTube channel, like and subscribe on there. Uh, and we went through it a bit, didn't we? We, we had Patrick on, and um, possibly the angriest watch along we've ever done. Right? Yeah, I haven't seen Patrick that angry before, but he was fuming. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was. He wasn't happy. Let's just say that, and you can go watch it for yourself. But look, it wasn't the greatest of performances, so I don't blame him. No, but um, but you know, he was he was bashing the desk, shouting, and and you know, and the only thing I didn't understand is the Michi Batshuayi debate with me. That that's the only thing I didn't understand. But apart from that, you know, it's reactions. It is heat of the moment stuff. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but definitely, uh, people seem to seem to engage with it and um, enjoyed it more than the game itself. But obviously, we've had a bit of time to to settle down and, and reflect on it. And somebody else who's been doing a bit of reflecting is, of course, Patrick Van Arnhol. And uh, you wanted to go through a tweet that he um yeah yeah he's been going through it this Sunday um, afternoon on Twitter. He said the following: Twitter, understand this. I haven't met many players who enjoy losing. Get that straight now. We are all competitive by nature. But if we all acted acted like some of what I've seen on here, you might as well delete football. We rally around each other when things don't go to plan. So, yeah, he's been getting a lot of slack on Twitter, which I don't agree with. I don't think, like, even here we're going to talk about players, we're going to talk about the manager, but going and adding them personally is just, like, come on now. Like, what are you trying to achieve by that? You're trying to bring down one of our own players. Like, yes, you might, you might argue that he didn't have the greatest of performances, but... Just don't do that. Come on now. like we're, we're, You should be more growing up 
from from doing them kind of things. So I don't understand it personally. But... It seems, it, it, it's, you know, it's pretty obvious to anyone. And I think in, in a way, you know, he, he also has to accept this as well, which is, you know, Twitter isn't really representative of, of football fans, you know, best moments, if you like, because, you know, there are times when the, when the fans will turn on the, the manager and will turn on the team when they're simply not getting you know, enough when the squad is underperforming, like I think it is now, or where decisions are, are baffling, which which keeps happening now as well. Uh, and when you get a sustained run of bad results, you know, that that's what happens. You can say, you know, togetherness, let's stick together through the hard times. You can say that to a point, but there's always a point where, you know, something isn't right. And that and that's, you know, kind of what football is. But when you when you stick Twitter in that, it's people's instant reactions with no consequences, no filter. So you're always going to get that. So if you take Twitter seriously, like he clearly has, uh, and start talking about, because what's he expecting people to go to to just either not message or not not say that they don't like the performance and not say that they thought he was bad. If you if you don't like that, you have to get off Twitter because that's a place for that kind of stuff. No, no, but it's not that, Hambo. This this isn't Friday afternoon. We're talking about Sunday afternoon, two days after. As you said, it we've had time to reflect. There's no point on going on Twitter and adding. PVA personally and then saying all the nonsense about it. You might go and put post a tweet about PVA's performance and not if you don't at him, then that's fine. But if you go and tag him personally and say all them stuff, then it's like it's a bit childish. Like you you're just trying to get attention. Because why why do you need PVA to see that? Because as you said it, footballers are not dumb. They're like human beings like me, you and everyone else. So of course they're going to know that their performance wasn't great enough. And if, if he doesn't know about Twitter, someone will tell him. I'm pretty sure of that. So we don't have to go and personally at them two days after to try and get their attention. Like It's not only Palace, no. though. It's everyone. It's just Twitter yeah. uh, in general. It's just, you know, that football Twitter section. But it's not. It's just a small minority, which, of course, the negative outstands the positive. Because when you look at your tweets, you look at the, the positives are all flowing. And then you see that one negative and it stands up. Yeah, I mean, I love the negatives personally. I, I, I feed off them; they make me stronger. Um, well, not but, everyone's you, Hambo. That's no, no, but, um, <laughs> it just makes me laugh when because it's exactly that kind of attitude. I'm doing it like in a in a jokey way, but the, the fact that somebody feels the need to sort of seek you out and tell you that they don't like something, it's like, yeah, okay, great, thanks for that. Why why do I care? Yeah, but but yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from. It, it's I would never ever at a footballer or a manager on, on social media and tell them what I thought because who am I <laughs> to, to, Wait, to do that? You know? Someone go and check out Hamburg's tweets and <laughs> check Honestly, if that's check, true. Check, check if that's true. The, the most, I, I think the only time you'd have ever seen me at, at anyone would, would be to, to, to praise them and I might not have even done that. I, I, Jordan I, have, have a look. I don't know. I would have definitely indirected <laughs> Jordan much uh, a fair <laughs> few times. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I think the most Critical football thing I've ever said was I called Gary Lineker a twat when he when he insulted Marouane Shamak, who was Did he? you know when yeah he, he was just taking the mick out of him. He scored I think it was against West Ham or something, and he was like, "Oh, don't everybody faint! Marouane Shamak has just scored." And I was like, "Just I just sent a message that said twat." Oh, um, well, anyways, but check just, it out. Let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, well, yeah, yeah. By all means, dig through my old tweets and see if I'm um you know a hypocrite, but I don't think I am. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, PVA wasn't one who had a, had the greatest of games, but I just it was nice, nice to sort of have a, have a look at that, and it's, I, you know, fair play to him for actually speaking out. Um, but 
I think this is another problem with the fans not being in the grounds, isn't it? Because even in our, our worst times, I there's we've never started a match booing the team or anything like that. You know, we've always started the game with that hope and that support and that togetherness. And and particular Palace fans have always been really good about that. And also sticking with the team when it's not going well and trying to get trying to encourage them. The only time we turn again is like sustained periods of rubbishness or really, really bad performances. And even then we we kind of hope for the best. But yeah, I think yeah, like I say, fair play for him to speaking out, but there we are. So there's a, a few little bits of Palace news to start the show with. Um, obviously, this was talked about last week, but I'm going to uh, go through it again. So Palace fans have come together with a joint campaign to raise crucial funds to help pay for Christmas presents for underprivileged children in our local community. And it's a joint partnership supporting the important work of the Salvation Army, who will be distributing the presents and gifts to local kids on behalf of the Palace fan base. So, so far, uh, £2,100 of the £2,000 target, so already over the target, uh, has been achieved. But, you know, why stop there? There's so many more people in need. Uh, if you check out the back of the Nest socials and, and across all the Palace accounts, really, the socials there, they'll all have links to the GoFundMe page where you can contribute. And please do that. And I know they're not. that's not the only group that's putting together charity appeals. There's, there's others, others as well. You know, with, with the problems we've all had this year um, and continue to have, um, it's, and obviously, it's, it's just a great time of the year to start giving people support that they, they desperately need. Um, I mean, I've spent a fortune on uh, on family Christmas presents already. Um, but, you know, any any spare cash I've got, I'm certainly going to contribute myself as well. So, um, yeah, I, I just love love the fans doing stuff like that, Dio. Yeah, it's not easy, um, especially in like South London when you're looking at it. Um, around this, this time of the year, it's always cold and it's not the, it's not the most, you know, privileged area. Um, we're near Palace anyways. Um, so, of course, there's always going to be support there with COVID as well. Just, these kids need it, you know, and anything that you can do, whether it's £1, £10, fifth, just whatever it is, if you can donate to help those kids, then that would be great. Yeah, definitely. I know Mike talked in the last show um, about the fact that, you know, whenever you're wandering about now, around now, nobody's really got cash and, that, you know, the homeless people on the streets, you know, must really be suffering as well because, yeah, you know... Amazing, they can't take debit card, can they? Really? So, um, uh, was, yeah, it's it's always worth trying to get a bit of change together if you can, uh, and, and and help those people too because it's it's tougher times than they've ever experienced. Yeah. But there we go. Um, another bit of news, of course, dear, and that is that the government have confirmed that London will be placed in tier two in the new COVID tiers. I believe those tiers are going to change again quite soon, following some stuff at the time of recording that's been argued about in Parliament, but. Uh, for the time being, it means that up to 2,000 supporters will be permitted for our game against Spurs on the 13th of December. And the club are currently working through the logistics of allocating tickets and aim to confirm arrangements this coming week. DR, if you're lucky enough to be allocated a ticket, would you take it? Would you go? Do you see it as a risk? Do you just fa- not fancy watching Palace too much at the moment? <laughs> yeah, whoever gets selected, you know, you're 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 just brave to go and watch that performance whilst there's a whole pandemic going on. Because <laughs> and maybe we get a result, but of course I miss a lot. I really do miss it. But then when you see games like Newcastle and Burnley, then you realise, you know what? It wasn't the worst thing in the world just staying at home and seeing that performance there. Uh, but of course, I cancelled my season ticket. Um, because of the treatment of the club towards the fans, felt like they didn't take us into consideration. So I, I, I thought, you know what, I'm not going to give my money during these times to the clubs. Um, so I won't be allocated um for this season, anyways. But Hambo, would you go? 
Yeah, I think I would. Um, you know, from the the watch long yesterday, there was an aerial shot of Sellers Park just before the kickoff. Yeah, before you, you the horror. It. Yeah, and I and I just got really like it just really hit me quite hard, and I just thought, you know, I miss that place so much. So, you know, I'm genuinely concerned about it, and 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 you know the safety issues around it, and I mean how how it's policed, how it will be set up, um, and also part of me thinks as well that when it's just a handful of fans. It's still not going to be. It's not going to be right, is it? It's not going to feel the same. You know what it is money. It's just money because there's no reason. You know, I don't think two thousand fans. I, I prefer it if there were just no. I'm saying that because I don't have a season ticket. But even if I had a season ticket, um, I'll prefer it if there were just like zero fans going. Just I don't know that two thousand fans. What's the need for it? I guess Selos is a small place. So 2,000 fans might have a bigger impact than the likes of if you were going to Old Trafford, which you can't go to anyways. But so, but I just don't, you know, it, what was it going to be like? Two stands, social distance, you can't shout. You, what's the point? That's not football. You, you're going to go to a game just to stand still. I'd rather just sit at home, do whatever, you know, have the same passion and shout and scream and whatever, and then go to a game and just stand still, be aware of my surroundings. It's just, it's, it won't feel the same, trust me. Even though fans will be at the ground, it won't be the same. Yeah, I, look, I, I agree with that to a point. I mean, there's no way, I'm going to say this now, there is no way that you can possibly police how people will behave in the stadium. And there's also no way, if we score a goal, or concede a goal for that matter, there's no way I'm not going to be shouting and I'm not going to be not going to be moving about and potentially breaking social distancing rules. I just, it's not the point of football. That's not what you go for. But having said all of that, I still go back to the point. I miss it that much that I would, I would, I would go. I would just, I just want to be back there. I'll give it one game before you say I've had enough. Oh no! <laughs> I was thinking the worst thing, the worst thing about going to to watch Palace is always the journey home after you lose, whether you've gone hundreds of miles up the up the up the country to go and watch Palace, or you've you know just gone to Sellers Park. Both are still horrendous because you still have that moment where you're in the ground. You've lost, and you're like, well, first of all, that's two hours of my life. I'm not getting back, and now I'm not even at home. And like, especially this time of year, when you're like, and I'm cold. <laughs> and you're so, thinking about the game. You're like, I've seen yeah. that before for the last two years. I'm like, why can't yeah. I change? <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, there's still I'm still nostalgic for that feeling as well. I still desperately want that back. The kind of the horrendous journey back home, and the the sort of sinking feeling in the pit of the stomach, the fury, the desperately venting my frustrations on social media as I'm travelling home. I miss all that too, so screw it. I'll be there. I'll be there for sure. If you get selected. Uh, yeah, if, if I get selected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's hope so. But we'll see what happens around that. Hopefully there'll be the news out about that soon. Uh, some other good news for the club, uh, for certainly two people representing the club. So both Chloe Morgan and Wilfred Zaha have been named on the 2010-20 Football Blacklist, which is the biggest and most respected celebration of African and Caribbean achievement in the British game. And we all know Wilf. We all know everything about Wilf and what he does. He's, you know, they, they specifically put him on there for his support of nurses because uh, he offered um, property, didn't he? Some of his rental properties for NHS staff to stay in. But he does so much more than that. And we've, we've spoken at length about that. He is just a fantastic human being. Uh, as well as a brilliant footballer and one of our best ever. So I- immensely proud of him. Um, but also Chloe Morgan, people might not know too much about Chloe, but she's a goalkeeper for the Palace Ladies team and uh, former Spurs goalkeeper as well. But she's so much more than that. She's a lawyer. 
She's an activist as well for uh, LGBT plus and BAME rights. Um, so, uh, and a coach as well. So, uh, an incredible human being, really, dear. Yeah. yeah, she's busy. She's not going to be having any time <laughs> off even during lockdown, I'll tell you that. But also, shout out to um, Zaha and Paige for um, the birth of their newborn child. Upcoming, up, we got we got lots of we got Leo Zaha coming up. Then after Leo, we got um, Saint coming up. So we're fine, Palace fans. If you're looking at the next 15, 20 years, we're all right. We got we got our academy prospects already there. Wilf is giving gifting us to them. <laughs> well, let's hope let's hope we get Leo in the academy as soon as possible because I think he's about ready, don't you? Yeah, he should be in the first team. <laughs> by the way, that we're playing. <laughs> Okay, well that's that's your updates for this week. Not as many as last week because obviously Steve Parrish gave his um, his talk last week, so we have plenty for you there. Uh, but just a quick reminder: do check out all of our content on social media. Search Back of the Nest, and as I said earlier on, like and subscribe on the YouTube channel as well. Um, and certainly, if you're feeling when you're watching games, you're feeling disconnected. Um, you know, I'm starting to see the value after watching Dr. and Patrick shout a lot. Um, in the Newcastle watch along, I'm starting to see the value of sticking your TV on mute and joining us on YouTube and just watching the pain that we go through and experiencing it with us. Um, I think a lot of people have found some comfort in that. Yeah. So um, I'm not, I, I did used to feel it was um, it was a benefit to me to actually sit there and watch the game with other people. After the Newcastle game, I did not feel very happy about life at all. So I'm not sure it still is. But, I don't but, um, you. Definitely entertaining. Yeah, yeah, it is entertaining. And also, we get your questions and we get your thoughts as well. So it's like a massive watch along. There's three of us on the screen, but there's, of course, lots of you watching it with us and we're getting our questions, thoughts. So, yeah, it's all fun. It's all fun. Um, well, apart from the football. <laughs> Absolutely right. So, Dio, our first topic for the review show this week is all around the uh, the team changes, all around the, the kind of Roy's approach to doing something a bit different against Newcastle than we did against Burnley, which I think we all we all thoughted. I've obviously titled it with my joke for the third time I'm now going to do, which is Schlupp front, because, <laughs> because we played Jeff Schlupp Love up front. Schlupp front. Um, but I think really to start this, this discussion, it'd be good to hear uh, some of Roy's thoughts from after the game on both Jeffrey Schlupp and the performance overall, as well as looking towards um, what we might need to do against West Brom next week. So... All defeats hurt and this one obviously hurts because we didn't play well enough. I, I didn't think we were actually going to lose the game. I feared we weren't going to win it. So to lose it, of course, is a is a bitter blow, but there's not much more to say than that we did lose it and to congratulate Newcastle on winning it. No, I would credit the Newcastle team with their victory, the whole team. The goalkeeper, of course, played his part, as one expects him to do, but... I think it would be too simplistic to suggest that we didn't win because the goalkeeper was in good form. I don't think we won because we didn't create enough chances or play well enough. Well, we know what Jeffrey Slip can do. He's been with us you know, all the time I've been here. So we, we, we know his quality. He's had a, a lot of absences due to injuries. He's not been lucky with injuries, but we've always known when he's fit that we have a, a really good quality player who can who can do something for us. And I thought he was... He was the sort of threat we hoped he would be, but unfortunately we didn't play well enough as a team to provide him with enough ammunition. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was confident that we were going to play very well tonight against Newcastle and win this one. We'd do our best, uh, but to make those sort of predictions would be would be a bit foolish, I think. Uh, I thought we played better against Burnley probably than we did tonight, uh, in actual fact. But I still think it's a bit harsh, the defeat, because, as you say, two goals, I mean, the second goal in particular was just a, 
an addendum really uh, it was the first goal in about the 86 minute that, that, that killed us because that was a game that took any possibility of a point from the game from us uh, and as a result uh, you know we'll have to come over that we'll have to analyse it we'll have to deal with it and we'll have to try and make certain we get back on the track uh, and uh, play the sort of football we know we're capable of playing when we play West Brom next Sunday <laughs> few things in there <laughs> obviously dear yeah. um so first of all um you know the, the selection of jeffrey schlup was he talked about it pre-game as well he talked about that schlup deserves his chance um you know he's always knocking on the door for the first team uh, and in that interview he was basically said you know it was said that you know schlup looked a threat up front um you know how you know what did you think about his performance and that was it, the answer that he gave in that interview and um you know, I, I am mystified by it, if I'm being completely honest, as a, as a selection. So first of all, just to say, I don't think Jeffrey Schlott played particularly badly or anything like that. I'm not singling him out for criticism or anything like that. But what I am definitely going to say is that we have two Belgian international strikers on the bench, and they are strikers. Benteke is a striker. Michi Batshuayi is a striker. To start a game against a club that are struggling, um, when you've just come off the back of a poor performance... If you're playing two two up front, you know, Jeffrey Schlipp is not a striker. So you've immediately picked someone who isn't a striker over two strikers. I have a problem with that in general. Uh, but then to even Jordan Ayew, you could make an argument to say he's not an out-and-out centre-forward as well. Because, you know, he has played wide in a, in a front three for the majority of his Premier League career. Played a lot up front for us, but, but you know, yeah, like I say... I'd still class him as not necessarily an out-and-out striker. So that's much my first problem. You know, seeing that something had to change from Burnley, because it did, because Burnley was a poor performance. Although I will say that Hodgson said he thought we played better against Burnley than we did against Newcastle. Just just drink that one in. Um, but, you know, how do you explain that that decision to start with that front two? You know, can you can you see a logic for him doing that? Yeah, I disagree with you. I, I understand why he would start, start Jeffrey Schlupp because he's got the pace. You mentioned, of course, he's not a striker, but Batshuayi is not as fast as um, Jeffrey Schlupp and Benteke isn't. So we've seen it where um, there's games where we, we we have the counter-attacking opportunity, but we haven't got anyone who's got the pace to go and attack because we haven't got Wilf up there. We had Wilf. He's got that pace. So I understand starting Jeffrey Schlupp. But up front, yeah, that's a bit, you know, that's a bit weird. But I still didn't mind it. I would have preferred Jeffrey Schlupp to start out wide and take off Andros um, in the starting eleven and put Eze on the right hand side. So you got Eze and Jeffrey Schlupp starting out wide. But I didn't mind it. It was something different. But the way that Newcastle set up, you can argue that it wasn't suited to his game because he didn't have the spaces to, spaces to run in behind, and that's why you know we didn't see the best out of Schlupp. I'm not saying he did. He didn't have the he had the worst game in the world, but. He didn't. He wasn't as effective as he could have been, and that's why we saw the you know the changes in the second half to try and accommodate him better into the side. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally. Um, yeah, that justification you given there makes a degree of sense. But you were spot on when you said the way Newcastle played, which is no different to how they've played all season, mm. didn't suit it. And when you talk about the pace, uh, absolutely right again. But what we also miss with Wilf not being there is someone to carry the ball. You know, to to you know, actually to run with it, um, and having Schlupp leading the line means you've got to hit the ball into the channels from deep. You can't 
you can't play like we did. If you go, again, we always go back to the, the Man United game for our, our counter-attacks, but that was a really good example of what we do. And that was that was because people were running at pace together and have, we had several different passing options in one go. Just didn't do that. Just didn't do that at all this, this time out. We didn't have the opportunity to do that to do that because there were no spaces to run out. Maybe out wide. Look, this game was the perfect game for fullbacks. I know we'll probably talk about them, but for Kleine and PVA because they were so narrow, they didn't allow any spaces through the middle. So you naturally had to go out wide, which they had opportunities to go and put crosses into the box. However, but then when you're looking at the starting eleven, I guess Hambo, if if Jeff wasn't starting, we saw in the second half when Benteke came on. He would have been maybe a good start, especially in this game, because we couldn't pass through them. So you loft it over to Benteke, he will handle it and you pass it to someone else. So you, you break that defence line like with Benteke. So potentially that would have been my other option if Jeff was a starting. But it wouldn't be Michi unless it was for Jordan Ayu, which that's a shot as well. Yeah, I mean look, so I I just struggle with it as a as a sort of logic, as as a concept really. The idea that we would go with the best one in the world, and all due respect to Schlupp and Ayu, that's not a Premier League front line. It's certainly not a Premier League aimed for a top 10 front line. And I suppose you can go back to have we have we strengthened the right way enough in the forward positions, and, and you can go back to that argument. But for me, as much as I, I did expect Batshuayi to struggle, because I think all strikers struggle under Roy, the way we play at Palace, um, I still think we're selling ourselves short by doing things like that. And it just, it baffled me before. And I, and I said on Twitter before, and you call it, I called the selection brave. It's either brave or it's ridiculous. And the result will tell us which one of the two it is. And unfortunately for Roy, the result was very poor. Um, and therefore it looks even more uh, ridiculous. Yeah. They're stupid as well. I guess we have to talk about another player, Gyro. I mean, that one yeah, exactly. was... I'm sorry, that's not even ridiculous. That's just stupid. Because why on earth... Chico Kiyate, he comes off a very bad game against Burnley. Not only him, Scott Dan as well, he started. But why do you move him to midfield in place of Gyro, who he offers something different? You have Chico Kiyate and Jason McArthur, who are known to be box-to-box players, who can run with the ball forward. But there's nowhere to run to. We just have made that argument for Jeffrey Schlupp. So you... I ever start Kuyate and Maka alongside someone who can actually play football and pick out them passes. We didn't have that this game. We dropped Gyro, which I th- that's fr- that frustrated me. Not anything else, but just Gyro getting dropped because he's deserved to start. He's been playing very good all season long, and in this game it would have suited him because he's the player that can pick out them passes, not Kuyate or James McArthur because they're not them type of. Um, personnel, and we haven't seen them do that at Palace before. So that made no sense to me. It was like, all right, your son Jeffrey up top, he can run in behind if there's any spaces. But who's going to, you know, pick out them passes maybe over the top? Who's going to who's going to control the midfield? I don't see James McArthur and Kuyate controlling midfield in terms of picking out passes and doing the rest of stuff. I can see them working hard, yeah. but they're not they're not technical players like Gyro, and that's what we missed, and that's what didn't make any sense for me. Yeah, you're right, and they—I mean, you know—we have—you don't expect them to control the midfield, and they didn't. And let's not forget, it's the first time they would have played together in a midfield two. I would have said, as well. You know, they were used to being part of a three, where there's obviously a lot more protection in there. And I think Luca's gone on record speaking about the fact that it's very different for the team. Um, in a no, you know, now there's a two in central midfield and not a three. There's a lot less cover. There's a lot less support around them. But. You know, the, the, I, I can't. You know, I can't really add too much to what you said there. Dio. It's exactly how I feel. Uh, I think the thing it highlights for me, 
which is a constant source of frustration, is you could say, looking at the Burnley game, Gyro didn't have a very good game. Okay. But Royce Royce treatment of certain players is bizarre to me. I mean, you could you could there's a list as long as your arm really on that. But if you look at Gyro specifically, he has a bad game. He's straight out the lineup. Um, Mac have a good game. If, if, yeah, if, exactly. Was was yeah was MacArthur any better against Burnley? No. Was was Townsend any better against Burnley? No. <laughs> you know, was I mean, are you played on? Are you stays on the pitch? Was he any good against Burnley? Absolutely not. Has he been getting any good all season? Not really. No, no, you know, he so, hasn't. but but the trust and the fa- that he has and the favourites that he picks always seem to to have way too much of an influence to me to justify the, the way he drops other players. And yeah, hundred percent agree, Dale. You cannot drop Gyro off of the Burnley game and and expect to break Newcastle down because we all know you know you can read a Newcastle forum, speak to a Newcastle fan if you really don't know, but they'll tell you they they have the same feelings about Bruce that we have for Hodgson. They hate the fact that they set up defensively. They say all they do is defend narrow, pack the box. It's exactly what we do. So the fact that we can face up to a team that do exactly what we do and have failed to have any real idea about how we're going to properly break them down, I really don't know. You know, we had a couple of couple of good chances first half, which a lot of people have focused on. So Eze had a good shot from range and uh, and Schlupp got him really well. Actually, a brilliant strike. It was a really good save from Darlow. Um, but the, the truth is... People, when they're looking at that, they're forgetting the fact that Joe Linton missed what two or three first half that he should have scored. Could have been it. Could have been two, three nil in the first half to Newcastle if it landed at Callum Wilson's feet, and we saw it in the second half where when it did, he scored, and that's how the game changed. So we were actually lucky that it didn't land in Wilson's feet, and that every time they did attack, it somehow managed to find its way to Joe Linton, who had an absolutely poor game. Now I'm not saying that we had a. Um, I'm not saying that I don't think we had a good second, uh, first half. But we weren't as bad as Newcastle were in the first half. That's how I put it out to be, in all honesty. We created chances. You mentioned that Eze shot at Hamburg. That's not a clear-cut chance. That's a shot from frustration. No, I agree, yeah. Because we couldn't break them down, even in the first half. And you know what annoyed me this game the most? It's the fact that we don't know what to do when players, when teams sit back. Walking football is not part of it. We, we're walking at times. How on earth are we trying to break teams down by walking, trying to walk past them? And that's that's the thing that goes back to the manager. It's like we we know how to counterattack, but when teams do sit back to stop us from countering, we we don't know what to do. And it's not only this game; it's been like this for a while because we've only got a Plan A, and it frust- That's that's the one thing that frustrates me because I know these players can play football if you give them the opportunity to do so, but they haven't had that, and they don't know what to do because they only know one thing for the last two years. Yeah, definitely. Look, and it, look, every team to a point. If if the if the opponent packs spaces and, and restricts movement, all that kind of stuff, every team will struggle to break people down. But you're absolutely spot on when you when you say we're not going to do it with walking football. And that to me has been the most disappointing thing that's happened over the years that Roy's been in charge. First couple of seasons, where I thought you know we're really good, but the last the last two. We've just started to lose all the pace out of the squad, out of the, out of, you know, and then our best moments are where we're where we are quickly attacking. We're moving the ball quickly, decisively. Our passing is on point because our passing in general is awful. I think it's amongst the worst in the Premier League, if not the worst. Now, uh, we are we are absolutely shocking on the ball for some reason at the moment, and you can point to the players definitely in that in terms of, but you know, to me that's nothing about ability. That's about confidence and belief in what you're doing. 
And if you don't believe in what you're doing, you you execute it poorly. And I genuinely feel that's what we're seeing now. You talked in the watch along about the players will always publicly back Roy, and they probably do really like him. He is, you know, he is an honourable man. He's clear with them. He gives them their rules. But I do think there is actual evidence in in the way that we've played, and we'll talk about the record later on. But there's evidence in the way that we've been playing for quite a sustained while. They don't really believe in in the system that we're employing and that it can actually genuinely get us results because they all look frustrated pretty much from the first minute these days. But anyway, look, going back to lineup stuff, there's a couple of other things I want to touch on quickly, one in particular that you that you talked about previously. So you mentioned Dan obviously retained his place. He was all it was poor against Burnley, absolutely dreadful against Newcastle, you know. So he's he's got to come out of that side. Um and, and I say this as someone who was really happy that he'd found form again. Uh, but he's been found out. And I think the worst decision was to pair him with Cahill, who's not fully match fit, because all, all that really did was say, get us, get the defence turned around, running back at their own goal, and, and you'll beat us. You know, the defending for the defending for the first goal was bad enough because Dan's just completely lost Wilson for no good reason. There's absolutely no reason to lose him at all. But the second goal is is humiliating for Scott Dan because he just backs away and falls over. Um, you know, faced up with Joe Linton, backs away and falls over. So poor game from him, absolutely, really dis- distressingly bad. Yeah, it's I, 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 there's no other thing to say than if if Roy doesn't have any agenda towards particular players, then he does get dropped because we've got two centre-backs who are on the bench. So they're ready to come on clearly and play. So it's one of them things where Scott Dan, yes, you didn't play great. Um, it might be time to go and sit on a bench and fight for your place once again because that's the part of having a competitive squad. You know, if if you don't perform, you bring in someone else. So against West Brom, I don't think there is any question that Scott Dan should be dropped because he had another chance. Roy gave him another chance. Fair enough, Roy gave him another chance, but he didn't take it. So simple as. Drop him someone, and bring uh, someone else. Someone, someone tweeted us, and I apologise for not picking up who it was because it was in the long list of stuff we got uh, directly after the game, mm. and said, "Why, why didn't Roy change Dan during the game?" So that's the real thing for me, is because he was obviously struggling before we conceded. He was really struggling, and you just think you must see that from the sidelines. You've got and you've got two centre backs on the bench for some god known reason. You know, you you got and you got one in the one in the midfield as well. I mean, Kiyate, who's been playing at centre back, so arguably you've got three potential centre back changes that you can make, including one already playing, and um, and that that just seems really odd to do nothing about it. And to me, that that if you if you're trying to find fault and and, and assign blame, if that's how and that's how you want to look at things, then you've got to say that is one hundred percent a manager slash coaching staff mistake to not act when Scott Dan was clearly struggling, clearly finding it difficult to, to cope. Um, you know, and, and their front two had a very, very easy game, which is so disappointing. Um, but anyway, in the final one, I'm going to let you talk about this because you said it pre, pre-watch along and you and Patrick talked about it during the game. No sign of Tyreek Mitchell at all. It, it, it makes zero, zero sense to me why he's not even in the squad. Unless I miss something... That he's got an injury or he's self-isolating. How on earth has Mitchell went from playing at this Palace team and being one of the you know star players to get injured, which was unfortunate, and being completely out of the squad? 
Now, I don't understand it. Now, I'm not saying Mitchell is like a world-class player, but he he should be in the squad. He should be starting, in my opinion, because let's be honest, PBA, even before the game started, he's turning 30. We want to develop our own players. We want to make sure Mitchell has enough time, enough game time to go and be that player that he can be. But having him not in the squad is not going to help him. Maybe Mitchell played this game and he didn't have the greatest of games. But that would have been a learning lesson for him. You know, I don't understand why he's not here. I think he provides better balance. I think he can do a bit of defending and attacking. Maybe he's not as good at P PVA going forward, but he can improve. Like, even with um, Anwan Bissaka, like, he was great when he first came in, but... You know, there's certain things that he started to improve. Like, going forward, he started to improve as the more games that he played, the more better understanding that he got in the Premier League. And with Mitchell, I honestly believe it'll be the same. And we've got a young player. He should be starting over PVA. I don't think there's any question, unless he doesn't perform. But with his situation, it was an injury, not performance. So where is he? Someone explain. Yeah, I wish I could. I really wish I could. Um but there's one thing I'll just end this this little section with, though, is and that is, it's not lost on me the the kind of irony of the fact that when we did make the changes that we needed to make and that we've talked about, and we did look a better team, it was then that we conceded, um, and and lost the game. And I, what I really hope is that Roy doesn't see that as some kind of justification for starting the way we did and think, oh, if only I hadn't changed it, we would have, we would have got the point, because that's not that is not the point. The point is. You have to start games like you want to win them. You have to start games like that because then if it doesn't work for you, if it goes wrong, you have time to do something about it. By doing it the way that we did in attacking late on, you, you, you see you get caught on a counter-attack and you've got two minutes to do something about it. And that's the, it's the worst of both worlds. Be boring until the last five minutes, then, then overcommit and lose a game. It's the worst way to lose a game. You know, if you overcommit at the start, you can do something about it. And if things go really wrong, you can do a bit of damage limitation. But, you know, we played Newcastle. It's a little bit like how, how I felt about the Burnley game. You know, Burnley got smashed 5-0, didn't they, in their, in their subsequent game? Yeah. And rightly so, because they were a very poor team. But we paid them too much respect and we did exactly the same to Newcastle. They started the game so badly, they looked bereft of all confidence. And they ended that game full of self-belief. They so they were so full of self-belief that Joel Linton scored. That's all we have to really And he has scored for like 43 games, I, I believe, before this one. And also, not even them two teams. Even the likes of Chelsea. I know they're doing great right now, but when we faced them, we lost 4-0. However, that Chelsea team wasn't as good defensively as they are right now. Like, there were so many opportunities that we don't take and in these games. So, that's, that's the problem. You know, if you have one plan, of course... If you don't adapt to your opponent, then this is going to happen, isn't it? So, look, we've um, leading into the, the sort of second topic, really, which we want to talk specifically about our defending and a, and a few little bits of, and questions, bits and pieces around that. Kind of leading into that, one of the things that we've picked out and a few others have picked out, and it was actually, again, talked about on the, the review, preview, preview, review. <laughs> yeah, Mixo. Combo kebab. Yeah, the mix, the mix podcast is so difficult to say those two words together because there's just a P difference, but you say them differently, don't you? Yeah. Review, preview, mashup uh, from last from the Burnley game. And that was um, that Eze was, had, had taken a, a corner that we scored from against Leeds and he, um, and he took a direct free kick that we scored from against Leeds and has not been seen on set pieces since. <sighs> this is like... <laughs> This is this is the one thing that just makes zero sense to me. Like, 
who decides this? Like, is it Roy? Is it Ray? Is it who? Who says? You know what? Maybe, maybe we shouldn't score corners. I think that's a negative. We scored from a corner. We scored from a free kick. Maybe that's too much because we no, we normally don't do that. So it's not us. So we have to make sure we, that doesn't happen again because there's no other reason. We. Why would you put on? Why would it? Okay, <laughs> this is how I look at it. We score from a corner. We score from a free kick. Yeah, um, which we don't normally do. And then we decide, well, that worked. Let's go back to uh, putting people who are not good at calling <laughs> free kicks. So we shouldn't have, so we don't have any chances. Like, what's the logic in that? It is, it is so hard to understand. The only thing, and this is me really stretching to try and think about why that kind of decision would be made, um, would be that the type of free kick we wanted to deliver or the type of corner that we wanted to deliver against Newcastle, based on the players that they have, the way they set up from set pieces, we felt that Andros delivers that type of corner better than Eze does. The Eze's type of corner is like a potentially an in-swinger to the middle of the middle of the penalty area. But that's me really stretching that he, he doesn't deliver the type of corner we wanted as good as Townsend does. But it's not really borne out in what we watched, is it? Because we weren't threatening from set pieces at all. The free kick, the direct free kick was infuriating. Yes, it was a side that suits a left footer, but there's a massive gap there on the on, to the keeper's left, to the right as you look at the goal. And as a right footer could have curled it from outside the post into that. He's got the technique. We saw it against Leeds. And then for PVA to just kick it out the wall, but we're not even going in. It was going well. It started wide. It was going wider. But he did score a free kick against Newcastle last season at that similar position. So there's one of them things. I remember Patrick was arguing me about that, but I, I didn't mind PVA taking that free kick. But in just in corners in general, I mean, we had that one corner where Kiate and Scott... Was it Kiate? No, Gary Cahill and Scott Dan uh, were marking each other, I believe, um, in, in our own offensive yeah. corner. So that was our best corner. Apart from that, I don't remember us having really good corners. There were some who just disappeared. Some didn't even go past the front post. So you need to put Eze back on set pieces. You know, it's just not working. Unless you don't want to score from corners and you don't want to create opportunities from corners, then fair enough. I'll hold my hands up. But if you want to at least try, then my suggestion would be put him back in because it has worked in the past. And we'll see if it does work again. Yeah, for sure. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take from that the kind of baffling tactical decisions. Start looking at another, another thing that a lot of people have been in touch about. Because mm. and, and Terence, I think, said it really well in the last show, which was for a defensive team, for a d- team that starts games as a defensive focused uh, setup. It's quite impressive how few clean sheets we've had. Um. One in 10 games this season. One clean sheet in 10 games this season. Um, so I suppose first up, because we're talking about the Newcastle game, what, what was so wrong defensively against Newcastle, DR? Because we had individual poor performances that we've talked about from Dan already and Kay was struggling a little bit. But Van Arnholt, we've kind of hinted at, but I, I would say he was so all over the pitch that positionally there was nobody at left back for quite long periods of the game. Yeah, um, not his fault. But even no, I don't not think his, his fault. fault. We needed no, that width. But, yeah, but even uh, Patente Guaita is looking 
unsettled, isn't he? Doesn't doesn't he? He looks off, doesn't he, at the moment? Yeah. Burnley game as well. I think I noticed that at a Burnley game. I'm not too sure about any other games this season uh, because I probably haven't looked into it as much. But you're starting to notice that he is uneasy um, with his back line. And I'm not too sure why that is. But there, there is lack of communication there. And it, it doesn't feel like Palace. It doesn't feel like Roy Hodgson. But look, with Roy, if we can't defend, which is the main thing that he can do with this Palace side, then what else do we have to offer? We can't attack. We haven't been able to attack for a while now. But the only reason why we've been staying up is because we've been a good defensive side. But now we can't defend. So what what can we do? We can't. We basically can't play football. We can't attack. We can't defend. We can't pass. We're just we're just running around. That's it. We're just running around and hoping for the best. So it, it's not it's not good signs. It really isn't that we got we kept one clean sheet so far this season for a side who are meant to be known for the defensive work. Well, we had a um, a tweet in from uh, Tom on Twitter at TomSW1 who's asking the question, why can't we keep clean sheets anymore? And he said, asking on behalf of his dream team, and I have every sympathy as Guiter is my goalkeeper in Fantasy Premier League. Um, I was all excited at the start of the season when we had that clean sheet in a 1-0 win and nothing since. But anyway, um, so he said perhaps we should go back to three three DMs with a, with a winky, smiley face. But I mean, I, I don't ever want to see us having playing three defensive central midfielders again, but a central three is a is a definite option in terms of shoring things up if we feel we need to do that. It doesn't really solve the problems further up unless we're a bit more brave about it. But yeah, an extra body in midfield would certainly return us to some form of solidity. But, you know, last season we had three in the middle and we were still conceding all sorts of goals as well. So No, but we were still much better though. We were much better defensively than we are this season. Look, there's nothing wrong with a central three. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's what you do with that central three, personally, for me. Um, I I wouldn't mind it if we had, you know, a Maka in there sitting alongside Gyro, but then you put Eze in front of them. And that is still a central three of midfielders. So it's about what you do to try to create that balance. Now, when you have Jacob Kiyata, Jairo Reedworld and Maka in, in midfield, then of course that's not going to work because where's your creativity coming from? But it's about finding that balance. So if we play that midfield three... It would, it would it would do us wonders because Eze, through the middle, we can see it. He can pick up passes. He's that main man, creative player. And then Gyro and Mako Kuyata, whoever you want to put next to him, they can defend. So you found that balance right there. You know, they can help but, the back line. What? Yeah, go on. But, but, but of course, it means Wilf playing wide left again. Uh, where he We have to make a... sacrifices, though. Yeah. Yeah, just, the, it's I'm not just working. That's, that the system is, um, you know, obviously Wilf hasn't played the last two and we've suffered. Obviously, he's scored goals um, and, and been a general threat all season. So, yeah, you're right. It's a, it'll be a sacrifice for him to make. And then he got so much stick last year for playing wide left and being less effective than he was the previous season when he was playing more central. Um, it's just it's a horrible trade-off, especially for him. No, I, I honestly don't think it's, a, it's playing out wide that's the issue here. I think last season we saw it. When he was playing out wide, he was asked to go back and track back defensively. So, if, if, if Wilf still has that current freedom right now, playing out wide, he will create chances because he has done it in the past. It's not like, oh, Wilf can only play through the middle. He can play out wide. He can take on two players, but he needs us. He needs the support. And also, you can't tell him to go and track back for 90 minutes. So, there's look, this system can work. Look, we have got the players to play some good football, yeah? But it's the fact that 
what's the chance of Roy putting two defensive midfielders, putting Eze through the middle, putting Wilf out wide and telling him that you can still have that creative role, you don't have to track back. It's it's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen, you're right. So I mean, it's, that, you know, it's, that's yeah. the thing. We, it, it's yeah. not us. It's not our players. It's down to the manager. Yeah, and there's you know we could go into all sorts of crazy detail there, but I think I think it's probably best to leave the uh, the full tactical analysis for now. But um, yeah. I mean, uh, producer Sam Masters quite to trust his defensive line, which is kind of what we we're saying. But um, the interesting point I thought was here, which was a really good thing to talk about against the Newcastle game, says, "Are we playing too much of a high line without the skill to do it?" You know. And we did play a very high defensive line at times against Newcastle. And that was nuts with the lack of pace. And that's why Newcastle kept getting behind us. Because so I mean Newcastle tactically did a good job on us, right? They 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 sat back, packed the area, and then brought us towards them. And as soon as our defence was up on the halfway line, that's when Wilson and Joe Linton pushed up and, and played on the shoulder. And we didn't react to that, you know. You, you, that's and that's difficult, and that's that's the in-game management thing, and it's part of that's on the players, and part of that's on the coaching staff to get the message out there. So I thought it was a good observation from Sam, but again, I probably don't think we can go too far into it without going on for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> um, what do you think about the um, the sort of discussion we've heard it from Roy, and we heard it from Steve Parrish a little bit talking about um, the, the Burnley game. Talking about individual errors costing us. So there's no doubt we're seeing individual errors, right? Mm. But is that a symptom of the pressure we're putting on, on ourselves and how and how poorly we're playing? The fact that, that players are almost a little bit more anxious than they were? Because if you play with confidence, you tend to see fewer, fewer individual errors. Or is it just players in bad form? What do you think? Well, as you say, we ha- we've only kept one clean sheet this season. And I, there, there has been lots of moments... Of individual errors, I remember. I don't know why the Chelsea game of um, Sacco and and this game and the Burnley game, but it's I don't. It's hard. It's hard to tell. It's like Mitchell hasn't been there for a while. I don't know how, how much of an impact that's had because he, as I said, he provides a balance. PV will go, but when it comes to tracking back, he's yeah, he's he, he's that's not his game. That's it, let's just put it like that um, to be nice. It's not part of his game. So in terms of defense. It's, it's weird. I don't understand it. We've seen individual errors, but tactically, what has changed? This season, the only thing that's changed is the three defensive midfielders. What, is our backline missing one of you know the, one of the holding midfielders or two of the holding, holding midfielders well, there? I suppose it's the personnel as well. You know, Cahill's back in now, but, you know, he's, a, he's pretty good on the ball. But if you think Kiate as a midfielder, is comfortable on the ball as well. But really, I hate to single him out, but Dan, you know, Dan has a history of, of occasionally an absolutely superb long pass to somebody. But generally speaking, his distribution from the back isn't great. But, um, um, Ambo, but last season, sorry to cut you off, but last season, Dan was playing alongside Cahill and we're talking about clean sheets. Brighton, remember around that time, Brighton, uh, Watford. So I don't think there's anything wrong with Scott. I think Scott Dan played brilliantly last season towards the end of the season, um, not the seven, eight games I'm counting, but before um, COVID hit. And him and Kay, who had a really good partnership, and people were like, oh, Scott Dan's yeah. back. So uh, that's why I so think it might be down to the players on the pitch. It might be down to the midfielders, just not giving them the support. Well, no, but I mean, that's that's really where I was going with, with the kind of second, second part I was going to say, which is that somebody like... Kuyate or or to some degree Cahill and, and definitely Sacco to give him his credit when, they, when they're looking ahead of them and there's not that many options they've got the skill 
to be able to pick out the one good option that they've got. But when you're looking ahead of you and you've got, as you've been saying, one fewer central midfielder ahead of you, mm. you, you and if they're, if, they're, if they're well marked, you're starting to struggle for options. And that's where we saw panicked passing yesterday. We gave the ball away so, so much. And it's not just in defence. We do it all over the pitch now because there's just not enough sort of cohesion in the team. But um, no, it's, it's, it's difficult to, pin, to, to pinpoint. But, you know, I would, I would certainly agree with the... Those at the club who've said that you know individual errors are costing us, but I think the root cause of those errors is far more far more complicated than that. Look, we've got one, we've got a fairly substantial uh, further part to this section, but I'm going to kick it on into the next one, so we can stop for a break uh, to hear from our sponsor, Pitch Sport. I don't know if Mike is there, to, or we do. Do we play that out? We might have to cut this bit out of the video now, dear. I mean, you're going to have to. I suppose we're going to cut this bit of the video. Can I just ask, you know, when we sat there listening to the clip earlier on? Yeah. Uh, from Roy. Mm. Is that clip going to be on the StreamYard version? Yeah, I'm just thinking about that. I'm probably going to have to, Mike's going to have to send it. I'm going to pick it up from Dropbox and put it in. Should be fine. Otherwise, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we, just, we standing, we're just silent. We're just silent. Minute and 50 seconds going, hmm, hmm. Just mm. working like this, literally. So anyway, I'm going to assume that this bit's going to be cut out and then in this gap we'll get the Pitchport advert and then we're going to respond to the Pitchport advert, dear. But how is that going to happen with video? Because now we've been talking. Well, you'll, have to, you'll have to do the same thing, won't you? You'll have to cut this bit of the video out. No. Um, and we'll, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. we'll have to sit there for a bit of silence. Or you can flash a screen up for a bit or something. I don't no, know. Uh, Pitchport, uh, there must be like a Pitchport logo or something that I can put up on the screen. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's good to have these conversations during the show, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Well, DR, there we hear it. Pitch Sports Football. You've been using the app, getting some video questions on there for people to to listen to your insights and uh, and try and answer those questions too. Also using it to make our predictions. Do you remember what prediction you had for the Newcastle game? My prediction for the Newcastle game, I think it was like a nil-nil. Nil-nil. I think that's it. A nil nil or one nil. I'm going to live use the app. I haven't actually rated the uh, the team and the manager from the Newcastle game, so maybe I'll do that live. So this is one of the things that you can do on the Pitch Sport app. There's an option for going to the post match. I predicted a score of one one. Unfortunately, I was wrong this time. Better luck next time. Most people predicted a score of one one. Who was my man of the match? I suppose let's ask that. Who was your man of the match, Dale? My other match, jeez. Um, I'm. It's going to. I don't know if this is like selection bias or whatever you call it. Um, confirmation. Yeah, confirmation. Selection bias is what I've been learning. Um, uh, <laughs> I'll probably pick Eze. Yeah, me too. I've gone with Everett Eze. Yeah, so I've just done that. He is the main man. So, what were your thoughts out of uh, five stars on the team selection? Three. I'm going to give it. You're giving it three. I'm going to give it one and a half stars. Oh, jeez. Uh, what were your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the referee? I didn't notice him, so he gets a four. I don't yeah, notice he, a ref. He gets a, yeah, he gets a four. I'll give a four as well. How many stars are you going to give the manager? That's uh, right, dear. Half two. a star. Two. <laughs> You're giving him two, are you? Yeah. I'm giving him half a star. Uh, and as for the atmosphere, it gets half a star every time because there is no atmosphere. Let me hit save on that. And I've, that's as easy as it is. I've just rated that performance. Pitch sport, then take that data from everybody. Give us some wonderful statistics. And you can also predict your, predict your squad um, for future games and predict the results as well. 
and uh, and talk about how you're feeling before the game. Generally, I use the big red angry face for how I feel before matches as well, uh, which is good. And obviously, you can check us out on there as well. There's a, a, a option to add friend codes on there. Uh, and my code is K-U-G-K-U-T. Uh, you've got Chris Clark on there, who's W-V-G-V-A-V. Uh, Nick Gillard is on there, Z-S-P-Z-V-W. DR Kerners, what are you? I'm on there as well, but um, my code... But you don't know your code? <laughs> yeah, I don't know my code. <laughs> well, don't add DR on there, because DR doesn't care enough to know his code. Unacceptable DR, that is a £10 fine. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway join us on there so the more of us that get on there the more of us put the data in the uh the better the, the stats that they get out of it as that app grows and grows and um they've been fantastic supporting us and we've got so much time and respect for them as well really nice people so yeah download it if you're looking for the app just go you can check out at pitch sport or at pitch footy uh on twitter and then also d uh, you can uh, check google just google the words pitch sport football and you will find their site. I think it's called no, it says Pitch Pitch DMM. I think it's called. But anyway, mm. I'm going to stop trying to think what it is and just tell you to Google the words Pitch Sport Football and download the app from there and get involved. Back of the Nest, sponsored by Pitch Sport. Fun time videos. Choose your match day squad, post match ratings, and much more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery you in order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com Anyway, so back we are. Um, we're just about to get into listener feedback, and but part of the well, a lot of the, the comments we've had, uh, both post match and since, um, have all related to general performance. And um, if I go back to our uh, some tweets we had in earlier on, Will Raxel, who can I just say his uh, Twitter name is Raxel Rose, and I that is just superb, mate. So ten out of ten for Raxel Rose because. DR, do you know who Axel Rose is? He's the front man no. of Guns N' Roses. No, I know. I've heard so of Guns N' so Roses, but I don't, yeah. Yeah, so he's changed, he's, his name is Raxel Rose. Do you see why that's clever? Yeah, that's good. I, look, you, you can't yeah, take Twitter right. seriously. So I like that. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it anyway. So he's, he's talking about wins in all competitions. He's given us some stats, but I, I had collated those stats already. And uh, he's asked the question, do you think Roy would survive that kind of form if fans were in Selhurst? And that was very much my my thought, and I know you've said it yourself before, DR. But let me take you through some genuine stats from the league record in 2020. We have played 30 league games in 2020. We have won eight games. We've drawn five matches, and we have tasted defeat 17 times. So that is 29 points out of 30 games, which we all know is relegation form. You'd probably just scrape through with that. If you, if you applied that to the remaining eight league games, you'd probably survive, but it's not good. In that time, there's, there's an added 
We haven't scored 256 goals, like it says in my thing. We've scored, yeah, <laughs> we've scored 25. We've scored 25 goals. Um, that's wishful thinking. 200. 25 goals scored, 44 conceded. Um, so the defensive setup reflected in our goals scored, but probably not so much in the goals conceded there. And we've failed to score in 13 of those games. I've got a question. So, Dion. Yeah. For you. Uh, how long do you think it will take for us to score 256 goals on the Roy? <laughs> <laughs> how many years? Um, <laughs> at, at that rate, well, I mean, at that rate, it's going to be 300 games minimum. Oh. So, um, <laughs> it's quite a while, isn't it? Yeah, so, it's about away. eight years, isn't it? Eight years of 38 games yeah, in the eight, Premier League? Eight years. Yeah. Eight more years. So, basically, since we've got promoted, <laughs> it'll take that long. Oh. There you go. So let's let's go to Will's question and my questions as well. Dio, is that in any way acceptable? Is that the form of a manager who doesn't deserve to be under pressure to keep his job? Oh, he, he should be under pressure, but he, I don't think I don't think he's still under pressure. But I, I've said it before. I just don't want to say Roy out for the sake of it. Um, I I don't. I've said it in the past. I don't mind him staying until the end until the end of the season because. I'm not really a fan of changing managers uh, throughout the season unless there is a reason to. But when you're looking at the results and when you look at the stats, that is relegation form. And we were lucky last season that we managed to pick up points early on in the season, so into 2019. And this season, we're lucky in a way right now when you're looking at the league table, we're lucky that there are somehow teams worse than us, which it, it sounds crazy, but... Sheffield United, only one point in 10 games. Um, yeah. you got you got Fulham, four points in nine games. You've got Burnley, five points. We lost against them. we got uh, five points in nine games and we gifted them the three points. So, like, there are teams worse than us. That's why I'm not worried about relegation because we've got a good enough team. But, you know, when you're looking at the stats, questions need to be, need to be asked. Um, and I'm worried that come December, we might be in a different position and we might be looking more seriously towards the relegation to, um you know, relegation side of things rather than where we are right now, comfortable mid table. No, mid table 15th. Even if you don't go down, it's still not good enough with the squad that we've got. And and the other thing to think about as well is you've got to find a time that's right for a transition. And if it's not if it's not right in a season where there are at least three extremely poor teams in West Brom, Fulham, and at the moment Sheffield United. Although I'm sure they'll get their first win of the season when we play them, but <laughs> yeah. you know, it, I, I just I think if if you've got if out there is a manager that you want, you might as well do it now. You might as well get it done because whatever's going on at Palace right now is just it's just not good enough. And there is an argument to say that it's not really anything you could do. It's just sometimes things go a little stale. And you know, let's let's be honest. The performance against Newcastle it wasn't. I, I, you know, after the game, I, I, I called it all sorts of things, including pathetic. But actually, you know, on reflection, a couple of days later, it wasn't terrible. And I said at the time, it's not the worst I've ever seen us play. And you know, I disagree with Roy. I thought we were worse against Burnley than we were against Newcastle. But you know, there's fundamental things that are not working. So, but we're not we're not in a terrible, terrible place now. But we're in danger. It's what is the damage that it's doing on the squad and the potential to attract better players as well. You know, the longer you, you play terrible football, the longer you sort of basically hang your attacking players out to dry, the less attractive you are for the good players you've got to stay around and the harder it is to get good players back in. And we've got such a big job of trying to get good players back in that that, that worries me the most. Mm. We've got um, a best squad as well, I feel like. 
Yeah. Uh, we're not taking advantage of it. So let's bring out some quick questions, and then we'll uh, we'll draw this thing to a conclusion. Uh, so Sam, producer Sam again was very angry um, and put some questions a couple of days ago that I'm gonna we've take we've tackled one already, so there's there's two remaining. So the first is how do you respond to the positive few who say I'm gonna edit Sam's words, her language, her terrible language for a lady. How do you respond to the positive few who say things like I'd rather be losing to bad teams in the Premier League and losing to bad teams in a lower league? How do, how do you respond? Um, I, you, you don't respond because you're going to get a headache by responding. So you just you just move on. When you see it, you just move on and you just realise there's big, better things that you could be doing in your life than responding to that. I mean, um, I, I understand the question. It's like, you know, being in the Premier League and struggling is better than being in a, in a worse league. But, you know, I'm one of those people who who misses terrible football in a terrible division, to be honest with you. And I don't, you know, I don't, I always have struggled with the Premier League as a whole. And I've even struggled with what it, what it's made me like as a fan. You know, I was not like this when we were in the championship. I When we, when we were constantly losing to Preston for about eight years, for some reason, I, I, I found it funny and I would still, you know, and I'd, I'd still go up to Preston to watch us lose, knowing we'd lose for, Absolutely, whatever reason you like, we'd find a way to lose. Was that? It was fun. Right now, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it feels you know everyone's everyone's coming in and bringing their tactics. You got Pep with his tiki taka. You got um, you got Bielsa who just just run at them and make sure you pressure them. You got it's too tactical right now. It ain't as fun. And I think as a manager, the manager that we got, it it sucks as well. Like you at times, it does because we don't really play football, do we? We, we try to defend and try to get one goal or two. And as a football fan, you want to celebrate. And we don't have the opportunities to do that so often because, what, we celebrate once a game uh, at most. And if and that's if, you know, we didn't celebrate for two games now. When's the last time we scored a goal? It's a Leeds game. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard being a Premier League fan. We, we just, we, we, in, in, re, in reality, we scored too many against Leeds. We used up our quota. So we're yeah. going to have to put up, put bring, up with three games not scoring. Bring uh, back Big Stam. Bring back big oh, Sam. I've been I've been saying that. So Sam also asked him. Uh, I'll skip skip through this one a little bit. Is it tactics, skill, or spirit that's lost those games? Uh, it's all of those things. But I do think it's worth pointing out that sometimes we've been outplayed. Like Chelsea definitely outplayed us, but we weren't particularly brave in that game. Um, but a lot of the time, it's been negative tactics that have meant we've given too much belief and confidence to our opposition. But I also think the question of spirit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put a. A slight correction here. I don't think it's spirit. I don't think there's anything wrong with the players' desire to win games and play football. I think the problem is confidence and belief in the way we're doing it. I think that has eroded through what's been a sustained period, as we talked about, 30 games with only eight wins and 17 of those being defeats. Seven, you know, Losing over half your games is, is a tough thing to take as a professional footballer, and it has an impact. I've got, I've, well, I've got another listener question. And I was, I've been thinking about this as well. It's not really a question, it's a statement. But wins in all competitions, January to November. Hodgson, 2028. And you know what I'm coming with this. Pardew, 2016, eight. Eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And would, uh, you know, would, yeah. would Roy survive in that kind of form if fans would sell us? No. Roy would Roy would not be a Palace manager right now if we were at stadiums last season when we lost seven games in a row. I don't think that so. was the um, that was the second half of Raxel Rose's tweet that I mentioned earlier. So well done for picking up on that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, good, good stuff. <laughs> um, 
we've cut off um, the first name of Babington Brown. I'm sorry. You, you've, you've messaged us before, but I have I have forgotten. So I can't help out by remembering the first name. But it just says no Wilf, no points. We kind of haven't really talked about that very much, the fact that we're... But, but to be honest, there's not really anything new to say about that, is it? We know we struggle with Wilf, without Wilf. We know that when he is on the pitch, generally speaking, all the best things we do go through him. Uh, and you know we haven't ever really solved that problem, have we? Of what to do when he's not there. No, but I think I think it's lazy just to say you know, oh, we lost this game because we didn't have Wilf. I'm sorry, but I'm not having that. I'm just I'm simply not having it. You're, you're telling me we we lost this because we needed Wilf with Zaha to beat this Newcastle side. You look at our side compared to Newcastle, the team that we put out there. We we should have still won that game. We we still had a good enough squad to beat them. We can't just say no Wilf, no points. It's the fact that. Well, Wilf, we've got a player who, who can, who's just so good that he will, he will get them, you know, opportunities and score them goals. But we shouldn't really need Wilf in these games. Wilf should be like a surplus. We should still be able to beat Wilf. Oh, not beat Wilf. Um, we should still be able to beat. <laughs> New- yeah, we should still be able to beat Newcastle without Wilf. Like I don't want yeah. to see ex- no, excuses yeah. of. No wealth, no. I, t- I totally agree with that. I, I would, I would um, add to that. There's one player on the pitch that I think we would have done considerably better if we had in the team, and that's Callum Wilson. If we had Callum Wilson up top for us, that type of striker who can, who can you know, you know he's going to finish a chance. You know his movement's good. He's just got a great all-round game, good pace. That's the type of player. That, uh, that really would make a difference for us. And we just don't... You would really look at someone like Mishi and hope that he is that player, but, but and, he isn't right now. And you can look at Eze and say, Newcastle fans could say, well, we could if we had Eze, then that might be like a turn-up. We still we still got good enough players. Let's not use Wolf as an excuse. We should be doing better. Sure. Um, Richard Evans has gone with the, to be fair, if luck had gone a different way, it could easily have been a draw or a win. We've sort of addressed this already because you could... You can make that statement about anything you like. You know, if things had gone differently, it would have been different. But, you know, again, the, the stats show you the, you know, in terms of games won versus games lost, eight versus 17 in the last 30 in the calendar year, that tells you that it's not down to luck. You know, yes, that game could have gone differently. Burnley could have gone differently, but so could Leeds have gone differently if Bamford's early goal had been disallowed. Mm. But if you look at the Newcastle game in isolation, as we've already said, Newcastle... If they were a better side, if they had better players, they would have they would have probably scored twice before we'd done anything uh, with the way we played at the back. We gave them really good opportunities that they you'd almost forget them because we they wasted them so badly that they didn't feel like proper chances. But they really were. We we you know so I don't think we can we can say at all that with a bit of luck we'd have won that game. What I can say is it wasn't it was a it was a harsh result in the fact that they scored two really late goals. And we certainly didn't deserve anything more than a nil-nil. And and I think because of our approach, we did get what we deserved. We deserved to be beaten because of how poorly we defended and because of, of how unambitious we were for the large proportion of that game. Um, so that's what I'd say to that, Richard. And finally, Magic 3 CPFC um, says, we probably didn't deserve to lose against Burnley. Eh. Uh, but we predicted the normal Palace help. We donate to struggling teams and also against Newcastle. If we drew both, got two points, would fans be ranting as much as they are? Yes. I would say, I would say, yeah, near enough. I don't think, I think this is a culmination of things, don't you reckon, Dio? It's not just two games, is it? Yeah, you need, exactly. It's, you look at the, 
you look at last season, you look at this season as well. I feel like against Burnley, this team has been struggling. They have been struggling to score goals. And, you know, they were in relegation until we... Well, they're still there until we... They had, like, two points until we gifted them all three. We should have been beating that team without Wilf. In Newcastle, another team who, what, five games without a win? Something like that. And then they come and face us. Another W for them. So... I feel like, yeah, even if we drew against them games, we, we, we would be here saying, well, we need to win these games because these are games, if we want to go on to the next level, we should be beating these teams who are struggling. So, yeah, I feel like it would be, they'll be ranted, but of course, not as much as we are right now with a defeat. Sure. Um, there's a few more uh, tweets that have popped up during the course of the recording that I'm just going to very, very quickly run through uh, just, as we, just before we end. Um, so Tim Warren, uh, formerly of this parish, I, Tim, um, said there's a reason we don't seem to go out and attack teams like Newcastle, the fear of conceding on the counter. We know if we get the first goal, we're generally good, but it's the complete opposite if we concede first. We don't seem to have a decent plan for chasing a game. You've answered your own question, really, there, Tim, because it's a spot-on analysis of, of the situation. Uh, but I, I really like the fact that you've chose the word fear in there. And I do think there is fear, um, certainly in the way we set up that we are going to get caught out if we commit too much. And you could argue that the Newcastle game did show that, that that can be the case. If we do overcommit and chase a game, we are susceptible to being caught on the counter. Um, but I think at times, you know, you, you make your, you know, you make your own luck to a point, but also if you spend 88 minutes, sorry, well, let's be fair. If you spend sort of 70, 75 minutes of a game being unambitious to me, it's very difficult to just switch and change it up and immediately go on the attack as I've said a number of times, you know, if you, you just need to start the game like that because it gives you a chance to respond, and I think that's why that's why we we are doing so badly at the moment, and that's why the fear that we do have of conceding goals is is so frustrating to deal with. Uh, Paul Nash has said, "Whatever we think of Roy's tactics, uh, the fundamental truth is that without without Wilf, we are just bad." Uh, and Paul, you are, you know, we've, we've just talked about that and. You know, there's a mixture of feelings here, but yeah, we're certainly worse without him than, than with him. Um, but finally, to end on, Mr. Cabris Parrot is asking a, uh, an interesting question. It says, with limited access to Selhurst, like me, are you going to a lower league game instead? Mm, Any no. plans on a, on a non-league visit or lower league? Uh, I'll be honest, no. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say yeah for the sake of saying, no, I don't, I'm not planning to go to any games really. Yeah, the thing I would say, I'm, I'm the same as DR, I'm not, and it's not because I have any kind of um, sort of snobbishness to, um, so I've just, I'm watching Man United Southampton during the recording of this, and Man United have gone from 2-0 down to 3-2 up. It's been quite exciting. Um, <laughs> but uh, they just literally, 92nd minute, they just scored. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not snobbish about low league football. I really enjoy it, but I enjoy it. But the thing I'm missing at the moment is Palace, and that's not going to be helped by me going to watch the lower league side. I'm just not going to get anything out of that. Um, and a number of times when I've gone to games that haven't been Palace, I just feel empty at the end of the game. And the fact that I don't have the option to go to Palace, it would make that all the more worse. So it, I'd, I'd fundamentally hate it, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, you know, if people can and they want to just go and watch some live football, it's a really good thing to do because not only are you putting money in there in their coffers because they need it. You know, it's difficult for them. They haven't got the same income they had and they've got far fewer resources than the clubs that we watch. But it's just not for me. I have to say, I can't get passionate about it. And I need that. I need that passion to watch football. Yeah. Um, 
I, uh, I shut my iPad down in celebration there, DR, but it's got my outro on it, so I need to open that again. <laughs> well, a bit foolish, well, wasn't it? Exactly. Well, your outro isn't that long. I'm looking at it right now. It isn't that long. So it's pretty short. It's yeah, pretty, pretty short. short. So, well, so you, as soon as you open it, it'll finish. Yeah, but brace yourselves, though, because, um, you know, DR set it up quite nicely there. It's, it's short, but it is sweet. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of those who got in touch. Thank you to DR and to Mikey for producing. Until next time, come on, you palace. Back of the Nest Review Show, sponsored by PitchDMM.com. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.